Beyond the, Beyond the Headlines. This is World Insight. On today's World Insight, a closer look at China's unique path to security and prosperity in the eyes of a longtime China hand, Yale Law School's Professor Stephen Roach and Li Chang from the University of Hong Kong. Deep insights from the Street Talk Forum at the recent Understanding China conference in Guangzhou. How does China's ascent sit with the United States? And what will it take to break the ice on strained relations? About China-U.S. relations, uh, what incremental steps do you think that should happen and very likely to happen um, following that from both sides that would help us to gradually, at least, in the short term. Um, even incremental things, it's very, very difficult. So we cannot imagine the, uh, the fundamental change, but, but, but the stabilize. So that's supposed to do. It's a, it's, no one should be realistically thinking that uh, will fundamentally change. But this should provide the floor, not to continue to deteriorate the falling down. Should not be a free fall, and should avoid the military conflict. So the mechanism, mill-to-mill -mill, uh, dialogue, the acknowledged one-China policy on the administration perspective, and the discussion about the AI governance, this all become important. More is the environmental change in the Abu Dhabi's meeting, particularly by the administration, is a full. Uh, climate change, you know, effort. So these kind of things can build some of confidence. Mm. Very importantly, people-to-people -people exchanges. Uh, it's extremely important. Education exchanges. So I'm a little bit worried about the Republican Party when, uh, if they come to power in 2024, that these things will be all in jeopardy because they, most people in the Republican Party do not believe climate change. And they also think that the China threat is the old societal threat so therefore, to stop exchanges is very much on their agenda. All right. So that's the background. The best thing that both sides can do, and you came really close to it, Chung, is strengthen themselves from within. Yeah. When you feel vulnerable from any perspective, then the fear, as you pointed out correctly, takes over. And the U.S. economy, despite a strong number in the third quarter of this year, is much, much weaker than it was during the first Cold War, number one. And I'm sorry, all my friends out here in China, your economy is much, much weaker than it has been at any point in the last 40 years. And so I think both nations uh, should focus on strengthening their economics and they will not have the need to lash out at one another. Focus on what they can do uh, on their own economies. Mr. Li. But the irony is that uh, at the current uh, in the world affairs, we can ask which country put the economy above the security? You hardly find any major power or any important countries really put security ahead of the economy. What does, yeah. what does ahead do, mean? Do, so it's very, uh, how, how can we characterize uh, it? How? Do you think decoupling 
relocation and also this kind of self-hurting economic policies I mean, on the part of the United States and also look at Europe. Europe depends on China in many ways. I mean, they just abandon all these policies, stop the trade, the agreement. That the reflect that obsessed with security mm. issues. With so, this kind no, of we, 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 don't, we, we call it de-risking, uh-huh. you know? <laughs> de-risking. De-risking. so many countries should de-risk, not just about China. And uh, the, the point is that, uh, again, do you really think the current administration is a pro-economy pro uh, in the U.S.? And uh, so, again, I, this is not, I think they should really return to economy. And also, I think Chinese leadership should emphasize economic development. This is what I call because China can maintain stability. Why not put the economy back to its importance? I mean, as before. The 20th Party Congress mentioned national security far more than anybody expected. Well, well, yeah, you look at the, 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 the Ambassador Chi Tiankai's speech. He said that the Taiwan issue is the core of the core of China's interest. But you put China in the corner, then they have to prepare war in that scenario. But also, there's a lot of risk factors. Chinese leadership is more risk aware than any other countries. So, the financial, many other things. Now, I'm not saying that that's absolutely right, but that's a reality. Now, so, it's the same reality I want mm-hmm. to defend U.S. policymakers, including the Congress uh, people. So you, you, you can you, see... You, if you put yourself in the American position, your congressman, do you think that they should worry about China? Think about that. I think you will be the same if you're American, you work in the Congress to see China ever-growing power. You see the discussion on the stage, it totally shows this is a moving progress. The discussion <laughs> about wh- what we know about each other, you know, uh, whether we know it 100% or we are thinking about it all the time, no matter which signal is being sent from which side, <laughs> we try to digest it and try to put it into the overall assessment of what is going on between the two countries. I think this is a vivid uh, uh, crystallization <laughs> of that. Having said that, though, um, I still want to come back to some of the realistic issues that we need to handle right now. Since we're talking about economic and trade, let me ask you, Professor Roche, what is the priority of American business community? Is it scoring political correctness back at home? Or is it um, seeking global development uh, for the benefits of a business? This seemed to be a, quite a dilemma. It's shifted. Uh, historically, American companies, especially multinationals, are focused on uh, boosting earnings increasingly through efficiency enhancements enabled by the development of China-centric supply chains. That's been the, the model, but now it's being challenged by the politicians, and so uh, in every corporate boardroom that I'm familiar with in the United States, there are discussions about supply chain diversification away from China. Not because of economics. The economics still makes sense. It's because of, and it's not just political correctness, they are fearful 
yeah. of political yes. consequences if they remain committed uh, to China. And they're being brought in front of congressional committees to testify and explain themselves, and they don't like to well, do that. Well, 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 I would say that the U.S. put more emphasis on the security things than Chinese leaders. Now, we have seen over the past months uh, efforts by China, whether it is governmental side or the private sector, for example, different expos that try to show China's uh, open to the world. Uh, for example, the, uh, the import expo, the largest ever being held earlier this year and the latest uh, global supply chain expo. Uh, these are some of the incremental steps China believes it takes to show to the rest of the world, including to American business community, about what China can do in order to make sure that it is not going to be a decoupled world. Dr. Li, how much do you see these kind of incremental messages and steps will be digested by the other side or by the other sides? Well, I think that uh, China should do more in this area. Should be bolder, should uh, really make a very serious effort. I certainly welcome China now had a visa um, waiver for six countries. I think that the fact that um, uh, China need to address the issue why so many foreigners fear uh, to come to China. Of course, there's a misunderstanding. But on the other hand, I think I'm a little bit worried all these steps are in the right direction, but too little, too slow, and may not uh, uh, you know, uh, regain the confidence. So I think that a great effort should be made, both domestic confidence and foreign confidence of China. I know that's hard. Because China's economic slowdown is not just attributed to government policy, attributed to many, many factors. So you need to address all these issues and simultaneously, and, but at the same time, to particularly to help the small business and the private sector. Now, I understand this dilemma with the property bubble, with property development, right? Certainly, it's, it's a, it's a double-edged uh, situation. I fully understand that. And uh, also that the stock uh, market did not come back is also hurt uh, people. But China make efforts. Xi Jinping even went to the stock exchanges, went to EU, and uh, but still, uh, again, I think my view is uh, should be even more bold steps should be made. But on the other hand, I fully understand. I think that the international environment is not conducive. But the, the, my suggestion is that first we should understand why foreign uh, uh, countries, particularly United States, the EU, uh, uh, perceive China in a wrong way. We should fix that problem. But on the other hand, I fully agree with uh, Steve to make yourself better is uh, crucial. Mm. The so-called tech war uh, has uh, uh, gained some momentum in the Western media's coverage about uh, China-U.S. relations. Um, whether that is a phrase reflecting the reality is debatable. Having said that though, the development of AI uh, in recent years, particularly with ChatGPT, uh, well known to everyone, has been quite fast. Where do you think all the latest development and the, the urgency for policy alignment, at least discussion, 
between the two sides is uh, having its mixed impact on the current realities of discussion. Mr. Roche, you go first, this. There are two aspects of this, uh, Tian. One is AI governance. What, what can this technology do that could damage um, the welfare of individual nation states or the world? And then there are even deeper questions regarding the ethics and morality. The other issue is the United States is trying to stop China from developing AI by sanctions on advanced semiconductors and uh, the types of <coughs> uh, chips that um, NVIDIA makes that are essential to uh, AI progress. And this is a really unfortunate aspect uh, of the, um, the tech war. If we were able to come to uh, a joint agreement on AI governance, which you seem to think yeah. is coming, then um, that, that would provide some relief on the advanced uh, semiconductor uh, sanctions on rapid uh, AI-enabled processing. Both of you mentioned uh, Dr. Henry Kissinger. And that certainly many believe is an important uh, uh, crystallization of the wisdom of uh, strategists in dealing with uh, both crisis and important twists and turns of history. Meanwhile, you also see increasing people-to-people -people interactions between China and the United States, let's just say over the past few months. To many of our Chinese friends sitting here, they are familiar with the stories of uh, Philadelphia uh, Orchestra uh, that was uh, earlier, uh, back in the 1970s, made historic trip to China and now making his trip once again to China this year. Also about the American pilots, the, the so-called flying tigers. So uh, you see both about visions and leadership and also grassroots. By the way, we also see interactions uh, among the local uh, governments. For example, with the California governor uh, Newsom's visit to China recently. How much will these two directions take to meet? I think you're grasping for a good story, with all due respect. There are 350 American students today studying in China. <laughs> 350. You can almost put them in this room. That's embarrassing. Uh, there's no Fulbright program between the United States and China. The constraints for uh, NGOs to operate in, in China are still under severe um, uh, pressure. Having said that, there's nothing Meanwhile, the opportunity. American governments have also scrapped off some of the scholarship programs in China. Yeah. There's nothing but upside for these to improve. But to characterize right now, the, the level of people-to-people -people engagement is encouraging, I think is a gross exaggeration. Um, you also asked about uh, Henry Kissinger. He's a very controversial person in the United States. Um, I have been, was fortunate enough in, in my career to have spent 
a fair amount of time with him over the years, and I've always benefited tremendously from his insights and counsel. But what he personified, was, which is what you said, is a strategic approach uh, to foreign affairs and policy that is glaringly absent in the United States um, right now. I think, if anything, um, China is probably uh, more wedded to thinking strategically about foreign affairs than the counterparts in, in Washington are right now. The level of expertise in the U.S. government about uh, the Chinese economy, the Chinese structure, the Chinese system and its values, I think, is extremely weak. And I dare say, uh, you know, that was a view that uh, Henry Kissinger used to share with me uh, as well. And, and the, he's one man, an important man, uh, but uh, the fact that there are not a whole generation of Kissinger-like acolytes um, operating uh, in policy positions in the United States, not just with respect to China, but with respect to dealing with other uh, geostrategic issues around the world, that is a, a real shortfall uh, for um, the United States. Uh, to add to what uh, Steve said, only, you know, not only, only 350 Americans study in China, but also only 28,000 American college students register Chinese language. 28,000 college students study Chinese. I mean, in China, I think it's 200 million people in the elementary school, high school, and the university, and the recent graduates study, speak English. So that's tell you a gap, right? Um, the, we, U.S.-China relations could be driven by G2G, government to government, or for uh, the last few decades by B, B2B, business community to business community. This is what Chinese call the, the Ya Chang Shi, or the or driver, right? But the now has been challenged because American middle class, labor, uh, uh, working class think there's only benefit from Wall Street, wrongly or, or rightly. So that's why uh, President Biden's policy to lift the tariff did not resonate well, so therefore he never adopted that policy. Uh, but now move to P2P. Among the P2P, I think the think tanks, university-based think tanks, or um, you know, the, the culture groups, sports, and et cetera, they can play a very, very important role. Why? Because this is echo what I observe. Most Americans you know, in my 38 um, years experience in the United States, they love Chinese. The same things that my uh, fellow Chinese, I think they are uh, usually very pro-US in many ways because uh, America transformed China uh, for several generations with educational exchanges, with other things, because the sad truth is that the people should be grateful in the US, but the people start to, I mean, they only benefit from China, which is not true. So that's current situation. But on the other hand, I think we should re-emphasize all these areas. This is the right strategy, because human nature is, uh, uh, will not change, because these are still, even people in the US Congress, I think they're hawkish on China, but we should understand they, their position. Uh, they are also decent people, capable people. Why they got that idea? My point is sooner or later, 
people will change. But uh, don't expect it will change immediately. We take time. But during that period, I think uh, prevent a war or major uh, a military conflict is crucial. During that period, continue to promote, maintain this kind of education exchanges. I just want to challenge you on that. I mean, what, what's going to change in the U.S.? You just think someday, all of a sudden, American <laughs> government's going to wake up and say, oh, gee, we should like China. We used to like China. Let's do that again. I mean, something has got to happen to really make a difference uh, in reshaping yeah. the political... Steve, I see a what point. What is that thing, I see Steve? a point. I see a point. But uh, let me give you an example. Um, Ronald Reagan visited uh, uh, Russia, I think in 1980. I watched that uh, on TV. Then he came back. He had a press conference. He told Americans that uh, he found the Russian people, they smile, they laugh, they are human beings. Then remember Thomas Helen, uh, Helen Thomas, the old lady, the dean of the, the press court, yeah. uh, Tom Helen's, she stand up. He said, President, let's imagine you did not go to Russia this last week. You went there in 1970s, 60s, 50s. You will find the Russian people, they smile, they laugh, they are humans. Then Reagan said, no, they have changed. You did not, you did not get my joke? So that's tell you, sometimes take time, people will realize. And it's not so easy, but that's irony, that's a great question that uh, Helen Thomas posed. Mm. It's so important. I think that uh, this kind of concept uh, change, it happened. Because why? It's no alternative. I don't buy the argument. America is always number one. They will not let other, uh, another party to share, to be the, uh, someone said G2 or whatever. And, uh, but I think, what's the alternative? Alternative is a war. Alternative is you are marginalized, not than China marginalized. So I think that uh, if we're based on rational thinking, sooner or later we change. But at the moment, it will not. But the thing is, whether that's the only choice. Either it is black or white, or well, we have well, other choices. Well, I, I, I actually, um, uh, uh, Stephen Roy, Ambassador Stephen Roy, it's uh, very close to Kissinger, I think he said in one of the recent meetings, he said for America, um, you know, Taiwan, um, uh, a, a war with China over Taiwan should not be an option. I think for everyone, a war over Taiwan should not be an option. We are here understanding China, but said very clearly by many who spoke this morning, it is not just about understanding China. It's also about understanding the dramatic changes of the world. So what do you advise both as an educator and as someone who has been in both cultures and beyond uh, for many of our young audience sitting here? We particularly want to express our appreciation for their participation. I have always heard the statement of we are living in extraordinarily, unprecedentedly challenging times with developments that we have not seen in 100 years. There's no question that climate change uh, is unique. There's no question that the AI, AI threat is not um, unique. Uh, but there's always something out there that feels uh, existential to our sense of the future. 
So I, I think this has become too convenient an excuse. It's one that I hear all the time from the government in this country of, you know, poor China, we're having to deal with, you know, unprecedentedly challenging global times. Get over it. That's the way it is. Be tough about it and go back to what we said earlier. The best way to deal uh, with um, external environments that seem unprecedented is to build your own strength and resilience that will put you in a position to deal uh, with the, the challenging, uh, difficult times uh, that are out there. So I think we're guilty of using that to some extent uh, as an excuse rather than as, as an incentive to rebuild our strength from within. Stephen Roach, Lee Chung, thank you.